Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, April 30th. It's going to be a bit of a different show today. Normally, when we conduct a player interview, we post that conversation on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed, and I know all of you Mini Break listeners are already subscribed to that Cracked Interviews podcast. You've already heard our recent conversations with players like Bethany Maddox-Sands, Dennis Kudla, Claire Liu, Christian Mitchell Krug former ATP Top 30 player turned Tennessee men's tennis head coach Chris Woodruff, and so many more. You don't want to miss out on any good Cracked Rackets content, and I know you're not, so you're already subscribed to that podcast. But normally, that's where the player interviews go, and today we're going to do things a little bit differently. If you didn't know, if maybe you don't follow college tennis as closely as you do professional tennis, but there was some history made when the ITA announced this year's Division I men's All-American players, Will Blumberg of the University of North Carolina became only the third man in Division I men's history to become an eight-time All-American. That means through each of his four seasons, he was named an All-American in both singles and doubles. He joined players Rick Leach of USC and J.P. Smith of Tennessee as the only three men to accomplish that feat. And as someone who has been following college tennis so closely over those past over these past four seasons, it's a well-deserved honor for Will. Maybe you guys got the chance to listen. It feels like it was years ago, but it was only back in February when Chris Hall Orson and I got the opportunity to call the Division I Men's Tennis National Indoor Championships, and we got the chance to see a senior year Will in person, and it's quite clear. Will's healthier than he's been in quite a bit of time. He's playing confidently. He's playing freely. He's playing like a senior who's on his last year on the job, or at least I should say he was playing like a senior on his last year on the job, leading his Tar Heels uh, to only, they had only suffered one loss thus far in the season that was in the National Indoor Finals to USC. Uh, he was off to an incredible start. 10-0 in singles matches he had completed through the dual match season thus far. I believe 7-2 at the number one doubles position with Brian Cernak. And we had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Will about his accomplishment, what it means to him to become an eight-time All-American, what he thinks it means to his UNC Tar Heel program and how that Tar Heel program helped him become not just the player, but the person that he is today. We also have a candid conversation about him and you know the decision he has lying in front of him, whether with the extra year of eligibility afforded to all of these spring sport athletes by the NCAA, him going to a school like North Carolina where they can... Bring, they can afford to bring him back for another season versus whether it's time for him to turn pro and whether he thinks his game, his mentality is at a place where he wants to go ahead and do that. And obviously that's an even tougher decision to make given all the uncertainty going on in the professional tennis world. So it's a really great conversation. Will's one of the most thoughtful people in all of college tennis, player, coach, personality, or otherwise. You know, this isn't his first time on a Cracked Rackets podcast. I think this is his third appearance and, you know, just 
justifiably so because we always learn something different with Will and he always brings again so much can uh, he's always so candid so thoughtful with all of his answers so uh, we decided to bring him on today's mini break podcast we feel like him becoming an eight-time All-American is one of the big stories of the week certainly uh, worthy of an interview and we wanted to get that to you right away so we will get to that conversation after I get to the news and after I tell you all that these podcasts are made possible day in day out by our friends at Midwest Sports and you all know the deal by now but we are so excited here at Cracked Rackets to be joining in partnership with our friends at Midwest Sports because for more than 20 years Midwest Sports has served as one of the world's premier tennis equipment suppliers. They offer a comprehensive selection of fast shipping tennis supplies that few retailers can match and have one of the largest in-stock inventories of tennis equipment online with tens of thousands of products available for shipping from them to your home. And look at Midwest Sports, they value innovation and they've personally tailored their products to highlight your skills on the court. Their well-trained staff are intimately familiar with their tennis equipment and can help you find that perfect racket, perfect shoe, or perfect piece of tennis clothing that assure you to put you ahead of the competition. And listeners of our Crack Rackets podcast know I'm a Midwest guy. You can hear it in the way I say Alex. You can hear it in the way I say Cracked Rackets. Yeah, I'm from Michigan, and I'm proud of it. And as being from Michigan, I'm a member of the Midwest, and Midwest sports was something I constantly turned to growing up uh, because, look, I, I like to think of myself as a decent tennis player. You all know my accomplishments. I'm not going to hit the over-under today on when I bring up the club tennis national title, but obviously tennis was something important to my life, and I never really mastered the nuances of stringing, what I should be using, what tension I should be turning to, uh, what grips would bring out or help my sweaty palms, and I could always call our friends at Midwest Sports, and I knew I could turn to them for trustworthy advice and that they would help me bring out the best of my game, and they continue to do that now, and the way you can get involved, get their help, put yourself in the best position to succeed on the tennis court. Go to their website, MidwestSports.com. Find the gear you're looking for. And when you do, uh, use our promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. All orders over $75 will be accompanied with free two-day shipping. It's your one-stop shop for all of your tennis needs. So Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. They continue to support us here at Cracked Rackets, and we're so excited about that. So the least we can ask you to do is to go to their website, MidwestSports.com. Now, with that being said, let's get into the news because, again, there are still a couple of storylines for us to monitor new developments throughout the tennis world. And look, I'm not, I, I don't think any of us are comfortable to say the world is back, that we are all about to get back to normal. But you know, slowly, cautiously, uh, not as cautiously as it should be in some places, but we'll save that conversation for another podcast and another time. Um, But, you know, you do see places in the world getting to the point where things not necessarily normalized, but to the point where they feel comfortable trying to put on sporting events in a, again, contained, uh, minimized capacity. Uh, But as tennis fans, we can get excited that there's going to be live tennis in our near future, and it comes from our friends at Tennis Channel. And again, that's thrilling news for us here 
as member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, as Tennis Channel today announced that they will bring back live matches to viewers this weekend, May 1st to the 4th, as for the Tennis Point Exhibition Series that will be based in Germany. Uh, now you're asking yourself, what is this Tennis Point Exhibition Series? It will feature eight men's tour players in a 32-match round-robin competition with prize money and playoffs on the last day of play. The event is the first to include professional players since the men's and women's tennis tours went on hiatus in March, and Tennis Channel will show the complete live tournament on television and will make it on demand via the Tennis Channel app and Tennis.com beginning Friday, May 1st at 3 a.m. Eastern Time. Now, for those of you who are wondering, well, what am I going to see? I'm happy to tell you. At the Tennis Point Exhibition Series, which, by the way, is taking place with the permission of the German government as the German government's relaxation of coronavirus pre- uh, prevention uh, restrictions begins. Uh, but it's going to take place behind closed doors in the nation's Rhineland uh, Palatinate state without any fans in attendance. It's going to be best of three short sets to four, tie breaks at three all, and no ad scoring. Uh, in other words, it's the next-gen format for those of you, uh, the next-gen ATP finals format. Uh, so it's abbreviated tennis, but live tennis nevertheless. Dustin Brown headlines the field, and each player will be competing in two matches a day, followed by playoffs to determine final standings on Monday, May 4th. Uh, Look, I think I can say this on behalf of everyone. We're all excited just to see live tennis. It's going to be great to see these players in action and do we expect them to be competing at 100%? Is this going to be the intensity of a Wimbledon final? No, of course not. But at this point, I know I can speak for all of us tennis fans when, you know, A, hopefully they're doing this safely with precautions. Of course, we never want to jeopardize the safety or health of not just the, the players playing, the people organized in the event, but the communities that these events are in. Uh, but we are still nevertheless so excited uh, to see professional tennis back. So that is something for all of us to look forward. And again, shout out to our friends at Tennis channel uh, for making uh, for being a part of this sort of action because we are all excited for that we did get some bum uh, you know some bummer uh, of a news I suppose as we found out today that the ATP 250 in Gestad and the WTA International in Lausanne uh, are going to be canceled as the Swiss government has banned all events with over 1,000 people until the end of August now I should say it will be canceled assuming that they don't bring tennis back until they are at a, or unless they bring tennis back to a place where they're playing without fans, but that announcement hasn't happened yet. There's still a lot to be determined, so we are not at that point. So for now, we're calling those events uh, canceled uh, as they would have taken place in August. That was disappointing. Uh, and again, as we start to see more and more about the impact of the coronavirus at various various levels of professional tennis, there's a two-part series from Carol Bouchard uh, on TennisMajors.com that talked about the, the struggles that tennis coaches are facing and, of course, the, the names we are all familiar with, the Mortaloos, the Darren Cahills of the world, uh, you know, the Wim Facets, the Sasha Bajins. Uh, you know, are they being hurt? No, not not to the extent. They'll, they'll be fine with a, without a year's pay, but for 99.9% of coaches, they're paid on commission. They need players to be playing events for them to receive any sort of salary. And of course, it's not like they're guaranteed health care with their deals. It's not like they're guaranteed a pension. It's all, you know, income on a year by year basis. There is no planning ahead. You never know. There are no long term contracts between players. And look, I don't want to step on the piece because again, you should all go read this at tennismajors.com. 
the title. 99% of us are not getting paid. Tennis coaches plead for a better job security amid COVID-19 crisis. Uh, but Carol Bouchard lays out the stress, uh, the stress this moment has caused for tennis coaches across the professional tennis world on both the ATP and WTA sides, talks about the turnover seen at the coaching level, talks about why, you know, or how coaches have no protections right now. They are really at the whim, you know, their jobs are at the whims of players for the majority of circumstances. And when there's no tennis being played, when there's no lessons to be given even on the side, their incomes suffer tremendously. So Carol explores that in one piece. In her other piece, coaches facing the weaknesses of their status call for a union. Uh, she talks again to coaches such as Darren Cahill, such as Thomas uh, Druitt, uh, the coach of Wang Chung. Uh, talks to Sam Sumyuk as well. Uh, again, so many coaches from across. She talks to I mentioned Darren Cahill, but uh, talks to Frederick Fontaine, the coach of FAA as well, and gets their perspectives. And look, they're talking about unionizing as well, just getting some sort of basic guidelines for what it means to be an ATP or WTA professional tennis coach. And look, they're another aspect of the sport that it needs to think about these sorts of things because in a, in a time like this, it exposes, we talk about players union, but you know, coaches aren't protected either. And if we want the best from our players, we are going to need a plethora of coaches available. You need to incentivize the good coaches to stick around if we want our players to continue to get better. So really, interesting sequence of pieces from Carol Bouchard. I recommend all of you go read them again. You can find that at her Twitter at Carol underscore Bouchard or at Tennis Majors, T-E-N-N-I-S-M-A-J-O-R-S.com. Uh, two really good pieces I've read that I think you all will enjoy as well. I guess we have a uh, uh, This is the portion of the pod this week that we've done all week where it's time for some video game news because the Virtual Madrid Open still rocking and rolling. The semifinal set uh, for the women, Caroline Wozniacki, continues to look strong. She'll take on Kiki Bertens. Well, I'm going to say it. Upset win for her over Belinda Bencic. Bencic was my favorite on the women's side, and Bertens has looked really good, but so has Wozniacki, so that's going to be a battle in the semifinals. Serana Kirstea knocked out Andrescu. She's going to take on Fiona Farrow who knocked out Donna Vekic. So that's your semifinals on the women's side. On the men's side, the Andy Murray coronation tour continues. He cruises to the semifinals over Alex Zverev. He'll take on Diego Schwartzman. Started the week without really knowing how to play. Now he's in the semifinals against Murray. And then the bottom half of the draw, Stefano Tsitsipas, who I said was either going to be the best at this game or will have never played video games in his life. He's rocking and rolling. Win over Ferrer today, uh, and so he gets to the semifinals. He's going to take on David Goffin, who I guess it should shock me less is a good gamer, but he, he has that sort of... I want to say that, that just how smooth he is on the tennis court. He's got that country club atmosphere. He definitely could have grown up around video games, had an Xbox lying around. So it doesn't shock me he's in the semifinals again, and it's just been a fun event. The more they feature the players, the better the event becomes. So really enjoyed that this week. We'll give the full review later on. There's also some more video game news because IMG announced this afternoon that, I should say Wednesday afternoon, that it's hosting a Mario Tennis Aces video game tournament, the Stay at Home Slam, they're calling it, and that's going to be this Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. I'm reading the readout here, which I got from Brett McCormick at Brett Just One T, who, and it says, the tournament will feature some of the IMG's top clients, including Serena and Venus, Maria Sharapova, Osaka, and Kei Shikori. They'll be paired against other 
celebrities, and athletes. The competitors will play a Nintendo Switch game from the safety of their homes, each receiving 25000 for the charity of their choice. The tournament winner will claim $1 million for their charity uh, from uh, Max Eisenbud of IMG. I am proud of our IMG clients came together so quickly to support a multitude of great causes. It's a testament to the people we work with across all our divisions that we were able to bring this to life in such a short amount of time. It says John McEnroe and YouTube personality I just theme. I don't know who that is. This is the oldest I've ever felt, but I do know who McEnroe is, and they're on the commentary. Event will be streamed live on Facebook via Facebook Gaming, and it'll be on the IMG's Tennis Facebook page as well. Um, and look, it, it's going to be fun to watch, and as they mentioned, it's not just professional tennis players. You look at the pairings, and you know it's Mario Tennis Aces this time, not an actual tennis video game, but you know some really fun matchups as you look through this. It's going to be, and I'm, I'm going to age myself here because I'm not going to know who all of these people are, but the ones I do know. Uh, Sharapova is playing Gigi Haddad. That's funny. Uh, Hadid. Sorry if I butchered that. Madison Keys versus Ryan Tannehill. I know that one. Kevin Anderson versus Seal. Um, ooh, I may be butchering. It might be actually Keys versus Seal. Tannehill versus Anderson. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins versus Venus. That's fun. Steve Aoki, Kei Nishikori. I'm there for that. Uh, Naomi Osaka versus Haley Bieber. I know who Justin Bieber is. I assume Haley is somehow associated as well. Uh, again, it's an intermix of tennis celebrities and pop culture stars. And that's really good for the game of tennis. It's nice for them to expand their base. Hopefully this will cross over not just to you know fans of tennis who want to watch tennis players play video games, but also fans of video games, fans of celebrities who will then see them intermixing with professional tennis players and maybe playing a professional or a tennis video game. And maybe there will be an interest of tennis drawn. You know, if you see Gigi Hadid or you see Seal playing, I feel like that's pretty cool. That's definitely a win for tennis. So this is a really cool event. And of course, I'm sure we will talk about it more uh, in the buildup to it and then after it happens. And again, that's Sunday, I believe, uh, at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern. You can find that on Facebook Gaming or on the IMG Tennis Facebook page. Uh, so cool event. And again, things are happening. Uh, some other cool events going on. Andy Roddick through his foundation alongside of Brooklyn Decker this Saturday, May 2nd, 10 to 11 a.m. They're doing a virtual, I believe it's going to be Roddick, Decker, and acclaimed poet and author Liz Garten Scanlon, uh, and they're going to enjoy a special reading and an activity together, and you know, that just sounds like a good time. It's again, we have to be physically distanced, but that doesn't mean we have to be socially distanced, so uh, just cool things to keep in mind. Another option, another cool event from the Anti-Roddick Foundation. Last thing from Colette Lewis. The USDA's annual Team USA Coaching Awards were announced today. Corey Goff was named the 2019 Developmental Coach of the Year. I think we can all understand why that was. The Northwest High Performance Tennis in Kirkland, Washington was named the Developmental Program of the Year. Players like Henrik Weersholm, his sister as well. Plenty of players have come out of Washington. Uh, that's a noted uh, training center, so not surprising at all. It is surprising to hear that USTA Eastern was named Player Development Section of the Year. USTA Eastern, and sorry to anger any of our USTA Eastern section member fans, but not strong back in my day, so that's interesting. And Jay Berger, honored as Team USA, legendary coach, so that was interesting. Colette also covers uh, the ITA D3 All-Americans. They've been named recently. The D2 All-Americans have been named as well. Again, as I mentioned yesterday, Chris Hallior 
course, Matt and I are going to be on, and I think that podcast will come out near the beginning of next week. But we're going to be talking about the All-Americans having some fun putting a bow on the 2020 season. One All-American you all want to hear from, the reason I'm sure some of you showed up to hear today's podcast, our conversation with the third eight-time All-American in Division I men's tennis history, Will Blumberg, coming up right after this commercial break. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us now on the show, you may know him for his work as the 2017 NCAA Men's Singles Finalist. He is a returning guest to this show, and he is also one of three men in NCAA Division I history to be named an eight-time All-American UNC's Will Blumberg. Will, welcome back to the show. Congratulations. How are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, quarantine's interesting. Um, obviously, we're all pretty bored. Um but I'm doing good. Yesterday was a good day and obviously, you know, a great honor. So doing pretty well. Yeah. Eight time All-American. I believe you joined Rick Leach and JP Smith as the only men in history to accomplish that sort of thing. Let's just start there. What goes into the work behind being an eight time All-American? Is it, you know, is there a little luck involved in that as well? Yeah, of course. Of course there's luck. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure how the, uh, you know, the rankings break down go, but, you know, this year obviously was a little more interesting with, with only 20 singles guys and 10 doubles teams. Um, so, you know, we kind of got lucky to slide in there, me and Brian, um, in doubles, but, um, obviously there's luck, there's luck in, you know, who you're playing or whatever, but, you know, I'm just, you know, honored, honored to have received that and, and, and pretty happy about it. Was that something that you set out to accomplish this season? And obviously, I'm sure you set out a lot of uh, things you wanted to accomplish in your final year, and a lot of those were robbed by the coronavirus pandemic. But something like this, an eight-time All-American, you know, what does that mean to you personally? What do you think that means to the Tar Heel program? Yeah, I mean, uh, firstly, for me personally, it was definitely something that you know, I sat down with my family and, and, and coaches and before the season started, you know, you, you line up some of your goals and this was definitely, you know, very high up on the list for me to be an eight time all American. I thought was something that, you know, would be awesome for me and, and something that I felt like I could achieve. Um, and, you know, so to do that was awesome. Um, hopefully it means a lot, a lot to the program, you know, honestly, um, the individual accolades are great, but I wish, I wish we could have done more as a team. Um, you know, in the last three years and, and especially this year, um, obviously we're, we're all understanding and, and, and know why, you know, we couldn't, couldn't complete the season, but I wish, I wish we could have done more, you know, for the Tar Heels as a team and, and, you know, would take away some of the individual accolades to do more as a team. 
Oh, that's a really good. Clearly, the UNC media department has trained you well because that's a good uh-huh. answer. I think that's fair. Uh, but you know, for you, you didn't play any fall events, and so you came in with a blank slate. And obviously, this is your fourth go around, so you know the intricacies of the dual match season. You were going to be playing one single, so certainly you were going to have some opportunities to uh, earn some ranked wins. But you know, you came out this season hot. I think you're ten and zero in, or you were ten and zero in dual matches that completed and. You know, 10 and 0, obviously, at the one singles position is not an easy thing to accomplish. Again, would you say it's fair to say that you came out with a little extra, uh, you know, motivation this season? Because you were playing some phenomenal tennis uh, before the season, obviously, was taken away. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, 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 uh, you know, on a very honest note, I felt like I let let my team down my junior year. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was all there, you know you know, excuses aside, I just, I, I just didn't, you know, come in, in the clutch when I needed to be. And, and that really bu- bugged me the whole off season. Um, so I took care of some things that needed to be done. And, uh, you know, I just really went to work. I kind of put my head down, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of things said, which were fine and, and understandable about my junior year. But I, 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 you know, I just put my head down and went to work. I worked extra hard in the summer and extra hard in the fall and, and did everything I can. And I felt like it was coming together. So, um, you know, a lot of it was driven, driven to try and be there for my teammates. So, um, yeah, it was good. It was a good start to the single season. It was a good start to the double season. Obviously, you know, there are a lot of good players. I played a lot of tight matches. So, you know, when we're talking about luck, a lot of the luck, you know, you, you win one, one or two of the early three set matches and, and you start to gain some confidence. So that was awesome as well. And, and I had some luck on my side and I, and I had worked my tail off. So, um, you know, it was nice to have that start. How much did health play a factor? I know last season coming into the year, I think it was an elbow that was giving you trouble. And again, just getting to watch you play at the end tours, I was fawning over you during the play-by-play commentary. And I think it helped that your dad was greasing me up in between matches. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, you know, you just, you looked healthy. You looked confident. How much of that had to do with you coming into this season, you know, relatively close to 100%? Yeah, I think a lot. Um you know, I had I had elbow surgery in October um, before my junior year, and then I had ankle surgery in July uh, before my senior year. So I uh, I felt like I had taken care of everything I needed to, and I finally, you know, finally felt a hundred percent. You know, I felt like my junior year I was a little overweight. I wasn't able to train as much. I I just was kind of sluggish, and uh, I um, after after working, you know really hard with trip and james in, in the gym and and really just going to town i felt like i was in really good shape i i had no problems with injuries i was feeling great i was you know my my endurance and conditioning were, were all there so i felt like it was good and i and i th- feel like you know it could it could be seen on the court that i was you know i looked a little slimmer i was looking like i was moving better so it was nice for me to be able to you know after struggling a little bit with injuries to be able to finally feel like i conquered that since you brought it up, I will agree. You did look a little slimmer out there. I mean, yeah. you were just you were moving well. It was clear everything was working. And you know, I'm curious how much did those injuries play a factor? How much did things like trying to be an eight-time All-American play a factor in your decision to continue to return come, uh, to come back to UNC? Because I'm sure there were times, you know, after that sophomore year when you were number one in the country for the majority of it, given all you had accomplished your first two years. I'm sure there was incentive 
incentive for you to go pro and you had reached top 500 in the ATP rankings uh, at the start of 2019. Why was that something, you know, going pro, some uh, a trigger, I guess, you never pulled? Why did you keep coming back to Chapel Hill? Yeah, I just, you know, everyone's everyone's path and everyone's decision is different. Um, you know, what, what works for someone else might not work for me. And for me at the time, I, you know, I didn't feel healthy. I didn't feel like I had the ability to sustain like a pro schedule. I didn't feel like I was, I was in the best place for me, you know, to go pro. And, and had I had gone pro after my sophomore year, I would have had to have two surgeries, you know, in the beginning of my pro career. So I think for me, it was the best decision to stay. I, you know, I finally, you know, we, we, we took advantage and I, uh, we used all the resources at school with rehab and, and training and everything. And I finally felt healthy. So for me, it was kind of an, uh, you know, a no brainer, obviously like, you know, how, how, being a professional tennis player can look seems awesome and for me no doubt I was I was definitely like on on the edge about it but I think for me I made the the right decision and I finally was able to be healthy and and was happy and my mind was there as well and I think a lot of it is mental as much as physical so I wasn't there physically and I definitely wasn't there mentally in the beginning of my college career so you know where I am now um, is a different place than I was so you know we'll see what happens with the coronavirus and I just you know, I'm waiting for more information and, and I don't know what I'm going to do next year, but you know, we'll just see. Yeah. You, you beat me to the question. Uh, I'm going to save that for you. So we can, I'll ask you formally at the end, but for you, you talk about the strides you've made physically and mentally. And I'm curious from a tennis perspective, because again, from, you know, a third party perspective, your game has always had pro aspects to it. Your serve, your forehand, since you were a freshman on campus have translated to pro strengths. And I'm curious for you, uh, as you played these past couple of years and, you know, this season in particular, how do you feel your tennis continues to improve and you know why does going up against college's best players week in week out at the number one position I guess how does that help you prepare for uh life on the pro tour yeah I mean listen I think now more than ever college tennis is is level is incredibly high you know a lot of the guys that are playing college tennis are are top 500 or you know have incredibly good rankings and for me you know, I think the biggest aspect of my tennis game is is my conditioning. I feel like I have a lot of the tools. I I, I need to sharpen a lot of them. I obviously will try my best and continue to improve and, and work on that. But when I found when my conditioning's there and I'm in shape and can play for, you know, four hours of tennis straight, no problem, that my game kind of comes together. That's when I can, you know, continue to work my game plans and continue to move on my backhand. And I felt like I was in position for a lot of the balls this year. Um, so I feel, I feel like we found that that's my number one key. Um, and I felt like I was able to do that a lot this year. Um, you know, and it was nice to see that pay off. Yeah. You talk about, you know, some of the results you had this season. I kind of want to talk about that 2020 season. I know it was, you know, abbreviated, but it was still obviously a great season for your Tar Heels, for you in particular. You know, you look at some of the wins you racked up, three and four against Jubb and one and five against Alistair Gray, two and three against Oliver Crawford, another three set win against Jubb in the indoors. 
you know, th- I, I suppose you could come off as arrogant with this answer, but I'm curious, and I, I please be as candid as possible. Did you think you were the best player in college tennis this season? Maybe you've thought that for the past three seasons, and how does that confidence, you think, give you an edge in your matches? Because having watched you play, it just felt like you knew exactly what you wanted to do, and it didn't matter what your opponent was trying to do. You were still able to just execute and play matches on your terms, and I'm curious if that's just a tennis gap thing, if you think your level is higher than other players, or if it's, you know, boils down more to just how confident you were playing out there. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a tough question to answer. I think that uh, for, for a group of guys, you know, there's a group of people that know that they have a chance to win the tournament. And I think that if you're part of that group of people and you don't think that you're the best in college tennis, you're making a mistake with how you're taking a, a look at, at your game. I think that for me, you know, instead of worrying about other people, you know, instead of worrying about expectations, instead of worrying about anything else, I kind of just took a look, a look like within myself, you know, with Trip and my dad and my mom and everyone and Coach Paul and just say, what do I need to do to be the best version of myself as a player? And, you know, I was training my tail off and, and I wasn't seeing as much results in the beginning of after my ankle surgery and we were like, Trip was like, "Hey, why don't we take a different approach?" And I tried it, and it was it didn't work wonders for me. And I started working out, you know, slightly differently and stuff. So for me, it was less worrying about other people and more worrying about myself. Obviously, you know, I had the confidence this year um, that I needed to play my best tennis, and so that was awesome to see and and and, and to be able to translate um, into my game. So, you know, I think there's a group of people that 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 have a chance, and I think everyone should have that mindset, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the match that stands out to me, and it really was this three-set sequence, your quarterfinal win at the indoors over Oliver Crawford. I think that was a two-and-three match, and, you know, Oliver's a fantastic player, but there was just nothing he could do uh, to hurt you during that match. And then that first set against McNally, and I know that match ended up flipping a little bit, but you just dominated him. You hit him off the court. And again, you've been playing one singles now for a couple of years. I'm curious for you, being a senior now, being the leader on your team, being the guy who's played in a national, you know, an NCAA final, uh, did that change your mindset at all at the top of the lineup this year? Or, you know, is that the sort of mindset you've had to have for the past three years as well? Yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely the same mindset I've, I've, I've tried to have this year. You know, I could translate a little bit more and I felt like I could help out with the team, you know, a little bit more than previous years. Um, but I just feel like it's the mindset you have to have. I think, you know, it's something we talk about at Carolina a lot, that you shouldn't rely on anyone else to do, you know, your job. So don't I wouldn't rely that, you know, Bo, Bo's going to win today, so I don't really need to. You know, it's it's everyone needs to stay in their position and everyone needs to do the best they can and try and do their job. So, you know, I think it's the same mindset no matter who you're playing, whether you're playing, you know, the best of the best or somebody that's more average. I think, you know, you go in to dominate, and I think that, um, that's just that's just the mindset I've adapted and, and tried to continue to work with. Yeah, 0-0 against Virginia Tech. Anytime you beat anyone 0-0 and you have two 0-0 wins this season, it speaks to how dominant you have been. And, you know, it speaks to also how dominant your UNC team was this year. And I think it was you won nine of your first 10 matches 4-0. And, you know, you played on a team that made an NCAA final, but your Tar Heels this year were 12-1 and when things stopped. I'm curious from your perspective, was this the best team during your four years relative to your competition in college tennis? I mean, I get. I guess we'll never know. You know I mean, <laughs> we, uh, 
we were we were definitely you know a great a great team so far um but obviously you know you make a name for yourself and the team in the tournament so um that's something we'll never know um but you know we definitely were clicking on all, on all cylinders and uh you know USC just outplayed us in that match they obviously had a great team as well um so you know it's unfortunate but you know we'll never know yeah, that's a fair answer. I'm going to pry on this one, though, a little bit longer because, you know, you talk about a top three of yourself and Ben and Rinky and, you know, Brian and Josh at four and five, just the depth you guys have. How competitive were the practices this season? I feel like the, the level of tennis must have just been really high throughout. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that, you know, that's the best thing about it is, you know, we're all very, very close. So we all have the ability to continue to push each other and work harder. And, you know, someone's someone's not working as hard that day. You know, the other person's pushing them or you see someone else that's just behind you working harder and stuff. So um, obviously the practices were really competitive. They never get out of hand. Nobody ever gets, you know, pissed. Nobody, nothing ever bad, bad happens. But we definitely all push each other in a positive way. And, and so that's awesome. And, and, and for me, you know, to see a guy like Ben, Rinky, Brian, Josh, everyone, you know, from 1 through 12, like continuing to work and going going to more more morning workouts than you and working harder and Brian running like 50, 50 runs on the field and stuff it, it, it's awesome to see you know it's like it's a it's a massive motivating factor so it it was an honor and is an honor to be a part of the team yeah you were a superstar freshman once you guys had another superstar freshman in Rinky this season uh, how fun was it to have introduce him into the team have him playing three you know what was practice like with him day in day out. Yeah, it was cool, man. He's a beast. I don't know how much you've you've been able to to talk to him or see him, but he's an absolute workhorse and he fit right in. He's, you know, his mentality was awesome. You know, he was incredibly hardworking. Um, Obviously, he's incredibly talented. He hits the ball incredibly hard and works and he was amazing for our team this year. Um, You know, and obviously having him on the team was incredible, but just having him around as a person, you know, was almost even better. He's just a really great kid. And, you know, he's I enjoyed spending time with him and hanging out with him. So, it's just awesome to have a guy like that around. Yeah, I can only imagine. I'm curious from your perspective because, again, you were the super talented freshman, the guy who wasn't losing at two singles, making the NCAA singles final. I'm just curious, you know, what was a more enjoyable experience for you being that, you know, I again, I say this pejoratively, naive freshman who's kind of just coming in and absorbing it all or being that senior leader when there's a little bit more responsibility on your shoulders and you have, you know, a little bit more of a burden day in, day out? Yeah, you know, I think I honestly think they're like uncomparable. I think mm-hmm. they're so different. Like for me coming in my freshman year, you know, like you said, there's zero pressure. You just play, you have fun, you know, you have your senior senior leaders to worry about the pressure and you know, you're just kind of going in and doing what you can and 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 you're just playing for fun and it's awesome. And then, you know, looking back now as a senior, it's it, it's it's honestly uncomparable. I mean, it's very different. I probably enjoyed more being a senior and you know trying to be able to lead some of the younger guys and and trying to make a positive impact on them because at the end of the day that's that's really what matters the most and for me to to actually have a struggling junior year was probably the most important thing for me it it, it taught me a lot about myself and what I needed to do and how I needed to get better and to be able to translate to having an amazing senior year after a bad junior year was probably the most the thing that that's most special to me and and something that I'll remember forever 
Yeah, no, without question. I mean, that's why it's it's always great when we get to see athletes of your caliber stay for four years. The development, even when you're that good at tennis, just you know, watching you guys become leaders, I I can only imagine what that will do for you on the pro circuit. And you know, you talk about the impact uh, for your North Carolina program. I think it was that Ohio State win that was win number five hundred for Coach Paul. And again, it's the little victories in the grand scheme of things. What does the five hundredth match victory? I'm sure mean not that much. But for your team, uh, you know, looking back on the season, was that a cool little landmark to help accomplish for Coach Paul? Yeah, I think it was. You know, he's he's such an such a humble guy that you know we didn't even talk that much. You know, we when we beat Ohio State, you know, everyone was saying congrats on five hundred, congrats on five hundred, and he was just saying let's get to five hundred one. You know, so it's like <laughs> that's just the guy he is. He 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 doesn't want to take a lot of credit, but. If you look at the program that, that he's built and, and, you know, the men that he's built from his program, which is almost more important, um, you know, it speaks for himself. So I have I have the most love you can for him. And obviously that was a great honor for him. I'm sure that he really enjoyed it as, as he should. But, you know, he's almost too humble where he, he was just looking forward, which is good for our team. And we needed it. But it was obviously a great a great moment. Yeah, I think it's accentuated by his accent, but the aw shucks attitude is contagious. Yeah. Like, he, yeah. he really is just the kindest guy in the world. Yeah, he is. He really yeah. is. Yeah, so big fan of Coach Paul here. And, you know, I, I do want to talk again about your team and that USC match in particular. Um, but before that, you guys had to play uh, South Carolina, and I think they were the first team to get uh, dual match points off you. That was a 4-2 decision in that first round of the National Indoors. Uh, for people who may not know, you guys played South Carolina, I think it was 12 days earlier. And, you know, in that match, you go three sets with Jubb, who's obviously an incredible player as well. But just curious, how different difficult is it to play a team twice in a 12-day span at that point is there you know no secrets between the two teams yeah I think it's very difficult um you know Josh Goffey is a coach that I have tremendous respect for um with the way that he runs his program and the way that he is so you know when we had to play them the first time in Chapel Hill that was very difficult and you know we all played well as a team and when we saw that we had to play them a second time uh it was almost like okay buckle up you know because they're coming um, so it was definitely very difficult. They, you know, they played a great match um, and it, it, it just was what it was. I mean, we, we, you know, we played some of the big points, probably just a little bit better. Um, I, I kind of snuck out a third set win. So um, the whole team did well from, from one to 12, like I said. So it was a great coaching job, a great, you know, everyone did their best and, and, and you know, did what they needed to do. But obviously it was a lot harder the second time. Not that it was easy the first time, but, um, you know, they came out firing and, and we kind of knew they were, which almost helped us. Um, so we, we were ready to go. Yeah, it was a really good first-round match. And again, from there, you guys started rocking and rolling 4-0 over an incredibly talented Florida team, 4-0 over Ohio State. And, you know, those matches were never close. And that was the most amazing part of your guys' run to the final. And I'm curious for you guys, because, again, you and Simon are probably the only guys on the team who had that institutional knowledge of what it's like to play in a tournament final. And, you know, what was the atmosphere for you guys? Because I'll I'll say it. I thought you guys were tremendous favorites indoors. The level of play you were showing going into that final. Uh, I know for USC, you know, you guys were probably unsure. Is Brandon going to play? Is Brandon not going to play? But what was the mindset for your team heading into that final? Were there nerves? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, like, like I said, like, um, you know, they were just 
they were just a little bit more ready ready to play than we were. They, I believe, they had gone to Columbus um, and played Ohio State and maybe lost, right? Mm-hmm. Like a couple weeks prior. So, so you know, they they were kind of they had they were humble coming into the match, and maybe we felt like we were on top of the world. So, I think that that's an important factor. You know, we maybe had a little hubris, and and you know, we felt like all all things were firing for us, and and we were ready to go. And and they, you know, they just played a great match. They they played some good doubles where, you know, I I felt like we I let our team down a little bit in there in the doubles there where we had a little bit of a lead, which you know we could have changed it. But you know, they they were well coached. They had a, they played a great match. And you know, to be honest with you, I was never happy that we lost, but we almost needed it. And had the season continued, I felt like it would have helped us because, you know, you know, it gave us it it made us humble. And towards the end of the year, we wouldn't have felt like we were on top of the world. So. You know, credit to them, they played a great match, but I felt like it was something that we needed. Yeah, and again, this is probably going to be the question that is most likely to lead you to hang up on me, but you talked about being leading in doubles. You guys are up 5-4 in that breaker against Riley and Daniel. I think it's you have two serves on your racket to put the set away, and obviously it goes the other way. They win both points. They end up taking the breaker 7-5, but you know, playing that match, that moment, as you sort of mentioned there, is that something that's helpful not only for you but for Brian to go through? and just for your team to experience that sort of adversity, how would that have helped you later on in the year? Yeah, of course. Listen, you know, it's not something I'd ever shy away from. Like, I, just being honest, I feel like I let, I let the team down. And it's almost not that not that we lost. It's, it's, it's almost how, how we lost the last couple of points. You know, we served, and instead of going, we kind of stayed. So we played a little more tentative. So it's just kind of no, noticing things like that. Listen, Riley and – and Daniel are incredible players. They they played some great last points. We lost seven six seven five in the breaker with a one set match. You know what are you going to do? Sometimes you lose a couple points, but it's more you know we're just teaching ourselves the way we want to play. And on those big moments, this is what we want to do. And this is who at Carolina, this is what we do in the big moments. So I think it's more like that, and it's more you know just just being like you know you got to work harder than the other team. You got to not not think that you're better than them. You got to come in with the same mindset every time. So. I think it was important for us to feel, and I think it was going to help us. Yeah, and, you know, I saw you rip into the team after that doubles point, and I'm curious, what you know, you don't have to give away what you were saying, but what is that huddle like after you go down 1-0 in a final? And, you know, again, probably feel like you should have been up 1-0 heading into singles. Yeah, so, you know, and it's less, it's less ripping in and more just trying to, like, you know, vocally motivate and just mm-hmm. say basically, you know, obviously with some other words but it's more of like hey we have to want it more than them we have to go get it and stop being on our heels you know like we have to go out there and take it from them and not let them take it from us like they were screaming and they were you know kind of in our face and 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 that's great and I love that stuff but I felt like we needed to be that team you know we needed to be the aggressor instead of someone that was just kind of dodging their shots so you know I think that was the mentality we wanted to have and I think that you know we were trying to do our best and like I said we just you know, we needed another go at it, and I think it was going to help us. But, um, yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And again, that was a match you uh, knocked off. You won that first set against Brandon Sixo. He had to retire. He was obviously under the weather. But I'm curious, just after all of the big matches you've been a part of, some of which have been on your racket, some of which you've had to watch from the sideline, what's more you know, nerve-wracking, playing that final match or being on the sideline as you're watching Brian, you know, yo-yo in between fighting match points, winning, uh, you know, fighting them off, and then watching him down match points? What's more difficult for you at this point? I think definitely watching. Oh, I mean, it's horrible. Definitely watching. When, when, even if you lose, but you're playing, you know, like, like if you have the right mindset and you're trying to do the right things, sometimes you're gonna lose, and like that just happens, you know. But be, not being able to do anything about it is by far the worst, you know. So it's just it's just hard to be there and watch because I've unfortunately been on the wrong end of a couple of the. The, the big clinching matches so I know how it feels so definitely watching is the worst oh it's brutal I completely agree and you know again home stretch of questions here but for you this season you got to play with Brian uh Cernok, who I believe was a sophomore this year a lefty and I think that's the first lefty you've played with in college and you obviously played with Bo, Bo who I know is a good friend of yours you played with Robert your freshman year uh what was it like playing playing with the lefty Brian this year I know you guys lost that final but I will continue to say that you were my favorite doubles team to watch because it just all seemed to click yeah, it was good. I mean, it was cool. Brian's Brian's an awesome kid, and he works extremely hard. And we were we were working really hard together to try and feel comfortable. Um, in the beginning of the year, we were kind of trying to figure it out and figure out where he would be, you know, during the situation where I would be during the situation. So it took us a little while, but around indoors time, we really kind of started to click, and it was awesome to see. You know, it was awesome. He brings an incredible energy, and you know, it was great. His serve, obviously, pulling people off the court, and his forehand being a weapon, and just you know, everything about him was awesome. It was cool to play with. It was different. Um, you know, and I'm obviously very unfortunate that we didn't get to finish the year and, you know, try and play in the tournament, but it's a great honor for him, um, you know, and me to be able to, to, to have the All-American status to look back on. Um, but, but nobody deserves it more than him. And, you know, honestly, Mac and Simon as well were an unbelievable doubles team and, and they had an incredible fall. So to see them get it as well was, was, you know, just as cool. And, and and I love those guys, and I'm extremely happy for them, and they deserve it, so um, that was cool. Yeah, and this gets back to, you know, the level of practice. I know Trip, obviously your assistant, Trip Phillips, uh, for our listeners who don't know, was an exceptional doubles player back in the day, but, you know, how competitive does the doubles get? Because it's you and Brian, who obviously are a top 10 team, Mac and Simon, top 10 team, but, you know, Ben and Rinky aren't slouches. That's an incredible three doubles as well. So I, I feel like the doubles, maybe even more than the singles, just the level of play must be phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely phenomenal. I mean, our double sets and practice are, are awesome. And, you know, we're playing tiebreakers. And even, even to be honest, guys like, you know, those are the guys that were all playing, but guys like Ladd and Josh and, and the guys that weren't playing even play some damn good doubles. So, you know, for us to be able to play with them every day was, was awesome and definitely raised our level and, and continue to push us because you never want to be losing. And, and uh, so that was awesome. It's, 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 you know, great to have that. And we're just lucky. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you copped out of the question earlier, but I'm going to ask it again take this team you get to play any of your other teams from your previous three years at unc do you take this team to win over all of them huh. i i really i really don't know like <laughs> i uh i just don't know you know the team i'd probably take would be you know our freshman year team 
um, which was Ronnie, me, Rob, Simon, Bo, Jack. I mean, our double. I, I, I don't know. It's it. I really don't know. It'd be an interesting how it played out because my freshman year team was a little more, a little older than this year's team. Uh, so I don't know how it would be like down the stretch in a big moment. Obviously, Bo had his incredible clinch, which, you know, this year's team was a little bit younger. So I don't know how he would have done, but um, it would be interesting to see. I, I, it would definitely probably come down to a three all point. Yeah, I would love to see in like a Will versus Ronnie scenario. That would have been a lot of fun. Um, But, you know, I guess that leads to, and we'll never know, as you mentioned, but for this 2020 team, did you guys consider yourselves, you know, national uh, national title contenders? Yeah, of course. I mean, like I said, with, with, uh, you know, the kind of individual mindset, you know, I don't really know what you're doing if you're not, you know, we're not, we're not here to come and, and place fourth and, and have a nice trophy and, and, and be like, okay, that was a good season. You know, we're here to win, you know, people come to Carolina to win. So, um, that's, that's where we, we wanted to be. Obviously we felt like we, we had a chance, but we had, we had a little ways to go. You know, we were working hard. We never, we never stopped working. We, we continue to work, you know, almost harder and harder throughout the year. So, um, you know, if, if we didn't have that mindset, I, I don't really know what we were doing, but I can almost assure you that we did. Yeah, and I mean the 4-0 win at NC State right before the season ended was obviously quite impressive. And I'm curious for you, what was it like to be on the roster? You know, your team ascending, having the sort of season you guys were, and to find out that it was going to be taken away by you know circumstances outside of your control. This coronavirus pandemic. What were those weeks like as more information came trickling out, and it became clearer and clearer that your season wasn't going to finish? Yeah, it was heartbreaking, man. I mean, it was tough. We, we, uh, it kind of felt like it came on pretty quickly. I mean, the coronavirus came on, you know, not as a joke, but it was almost like, oh man, you have the coronavirus, you know, it was kind of like, like very distant. And then, you know, it kind of came up pretty quickly. And then, you know, before we knew it, we were in, we were down in Florida. We went for spring break. We were going to play Miami. And, uh, you know, I believe like the NBA canceled and then, you know, they, they, canceled the NCAA basketball tournament and then all these things just started to happen. And then, uh, the SEC or PAC 12 or something canceled tennis for like until the end of March. And then, uh, we kind of figured the ACC were, and then, you know, before we knew it, we were sitting in coach's room and he was like, Hey guys, you know, I just was on this call and, you know, we're going to be suspended. Um, hopefully it's good news, whatever. And then, you know, so I was pretty crushed then because I didn't really, think that much that we'd be able to recover from that and we'd be able to play and then you know our whole team went and got pizza um and I was pretty upset like just during that and then I remember Mac looking up being like no and I'm like what do you mean no and he's like look read this and it was like a note from the NCAA commissioner saying that they're canceling you know I I forget what it said but basically that they're canceling all spring sports and uh and that was a tough day you know it's hard like you know, that was before anyone knew that they had an extra year and before anyone knew what was going on. So it was heartbreaking. You know, we give a lot, a lot to play uh, and, and, and it means a lot to us. So, you know, to have that ended at the time was kind of brutal. And we were like, you know, why is this ending? We feel like we can play. And then obviously as, as the days went on, you know, it was the right decision. So um, it was tough. 
Yeah, and you mentioned there the NCAA extending that extra year of eligibility for all of those spring sport athletes who had their final season away. You know, I, I don't, I am not going to ask you to speak to the financial viability of that decision and how that's going to impact the programs moving forward. But from an athlete's perspective, uh, to have your season robbed, uh, you know, from you the way that it was. A, I guess, did you expect the NCAA to extend an extra year of eligibility? And B, when they did, even if, you know, you don't end up taking it, uh, you know, how grateful were you? How excited were you to hear of that announcement? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, that's very, very, very awesome from them. I think it almost started as more of like a, uh, like, for me, I thought I saw it on Instagram and I thought it was, it was like a petition and I was like, okay, that's never going to happen. You know, I just like, you know what I mean? You see some of those sometimes like, and I was like, okay, that's probably not going to happen. And then, you know, I, I went and saw my parents after the match and everyone drove home from Florida, but, uh, then, then they heard word that people were going to get a fifth year and, you know, listen, it's incredible that they, uh, were able to do that. Obviously, you know, I've learned more about how difficult it is with the financial situation and some schools are able to do it. Some schools are not. You know, we're lucky that UNC was able to do that, and that's a credit to, to just Carolina in general. Um, but listen, it's an honor, and, and, and it's something that I think, you know, should never be taken for granted. I think the NCAA understood that it means a lot more to people, you know, than maybe some people think. Because um, a lot of people, for the majority of people, after college sports, you know, you kind of move on with your life. So it's kind of, it's, it's really nice of them that they were able to do that. Um, and so I think it's, it's cool. Yeah, and you know, for you personally, I you've sort of made clear that, uh, or you've you you know you're still weighing the decision. Um, you're still unsure. You know, it's it's hard for any of us because what is pro tennis going to look like at the start of 2021? Are we even going to get any pro tennis at the end of this 2020 calendar year? It's really all up in the air. So I'm curious for you as you weigh your decision of whether to come back or turn pro. What will be the factors that are at the top of your mind? Is it personally, do you feel your game is ready for pro tennis and would be more about the uncertainty of the professional tennis world? Or is, you know, are there still things that just, you know, truthfully you want to accomplish still at the college tennis level? Yeah, listen, I think, I, you know, not, not being arrogant, I really do feel like my game's ready. Um, I feel like I've been working extremely hard. I feel healthy. I feel... I was, I was clicking on all cylinders. So the game, the game is not my problem right now. You know, I just feel like it's not, it's not the right time to make any decision, you know, like pro tennis is kind of canceled right now. So who knows if it's canceled through next January and the last match that I played was March, you know, 10 months prior, do I want to just, you know, go pro who knows how, how that will look, you know, who knows like if there'll be travel restrictions. I just, you know, for me, I just don't feel like it's, it's a smart time to make the decision. I want to make an informed decision and not something that, you know, when I'm playing well and, you know, I'm feeling really good, I make a decision to leave. And then, you know, I look back 10 months later and I'm like, Oh shoot, you know, I wish I could still, you know, go back to school. So it's kind of, for me, just waiting to see what happens, trying to get more information, waiting, you know, obviously there's some crazy stuff going on right now. So I'm just trying to wait until it's the right, right time. And, and I, and I do have more information to make a more informed decision. Um, so that's, that's really all it is. It's kind of just me trying to make a smarter decision. Mm-hmm. And I assume, you know, uh, you, you're in consultation with coach Paul, with trip about this decision. I imagine they said, Hey, if you want to come back to North Carolina, the spots there for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, they've been amazing. Um, you know, they've been great, you know, every year, 
I've, I've had an open dialogue with, with Tripp and coach and it's never been something like even my freshman year, sophomore year, when I was talking about it, you know, I'd talk to them about it. I'd say, Hey, this is weighing on me. You know, this is what I'm thinking. And, and they'd give me their opinion. And, and listen, at the end of the day, I really do trust their opinion. You know, I, I talk to my family, I talk to them. So it's been an open dialogue. You know, they've been very supportive either way. Um, you know, what, 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 what decision I make, obviously, you know, they'd love to have me back and the spots there and UNC, you know, offered to, they have the scholarship still. So they, you know, they're going to give the fifth years their scholarship. So, you know, they've been great and, and I couldn't ask for anything more. And, and my teammates have been great. And so, you know, I'm just kind of playing the waiting game, which is unfortunate, but it is the, the, the spot that I'm in. No, yeah, I can only imagine how tough a decision decision that is to make particularly with all the uncertainty going around now um all right home stretch of questions some fun ones down the end how weird was it for you to have jack murray as a volunteer assistant this year it was it was really weird but it was great you know in the beginning i was joking with him i'm like hey jack if i'm ever in a three all match don't try and give me any advice you know i was just joking with him like and he's uh he was laughing but listen to be honest with you you know i thought it would be weird to have a teammate as a volunteer but you know, it was amazing. Jack, Jack, you know, gave his heart and soul to our team this year. He was there every single morning at eight. He was hitting with guys, you know, sometimes his body wasn't feeling good and he was still practicing. He's so positive. He, he was amazing. So it, it was awesome. You know, I thought it would be weird in the beginning, but it ended up being, you know, tremendous. And, and I, I, I have nothing but love for Jack. Yeah. You and you and I both, the guy I grew up with, does he crack the lineup? Does 2020 Jack crack the 2020 lineup? <laughs> I don't know if 2020 Jack does, but 2017 might. I mean, Jack, Jack, he hadn't been hitting as much. His body wasn't quite there. Um, but Jack was a beast. You know, he was it, it, it is a couple years removed from school, but he still got it. I mean, I'm not going to lie. He took me out this year in a set like the day before our match. And I was like, God, Jack, you're really going to do my confidence like that? But, but, uh, it was good. It was fun. Yeah, no, I can imagine. All right, you get to play. I, I'm curious, the differences between Cernok, Bo, and Rob. You get to play one match. Who are you picking as your doubles partner? I mean, I, I honestly, I can't even answer that. It's just so, <laughs> they're, they're, they're so different. Like, Rob, Rob, Rob had incredible feel, and he had played with Brett Clark, who was, you know, arguably, like, the best doubles player ever at Carolina. He was, like, their, their team was unbelievable. Rob has incredible feel, like, you know, he would serve and do these half volleys and hit these inside out angle forehand. He, he was incredible. Like the way he played doubles, you know, Bo had a huge serve. He had good volleys. He had, was obviously massive from the baseline. Um, you know, we were all different. Brian, I mean, Brian hadn't played that many matches. Me and Brian were playing really well. We were also clicking. So it was cool. You know, I, I, I default that match and then go play exhibitions with all of them. So it was an <laughs> honor to play with them. Yeah, that's, I would say, Honestly, I'd probably – so you and Rob were really good. Like, that was a really good team. That 2017 year, that was my senior year of college, just random tidbit for you. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, yeah. obviously being the college tennis nerd I am, I watched a lot of that. And, I mean, you guys were just exceptional. And so that's probably the team I would take in case you were curious. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. me and Rob me and Rob played for two years. We played my freshman and sophomore year. Yeah, so we had so a little bit more uh, – we played a little bit more than, than the other teams. Yeah, that's fair. Um, no, I mean, all good teams and all have one thing in common, and that, of course, was you. Um, and I'm curious, you know, for you, again, you, you sort of talked about the movement being something that's crucial. But as you make the transition from college to pros, whenever that may be, what are you working on the most to make sure your game is ready? Yeah, I think just being fit, you know. I mean, obviously, continue to, to 
work on your weapons, continue to work on your serve and forehand, and obviously improving my backhand. I felt like my backhand was, you know, like a dark night this year. I felt like I was hitting it very well, and, and I was confident in it. And, you know, when people tried to, you know, kind of come at it, I was feeling, you know, very, very solid with it. So just continue to work on that. When I when my backhand's feeling good, when, when my movement's good and I'm cutting angles and stuff. So I'm just continuing to work on my fitness. I've been, I've been working out every day so, with this quarantine I can't I can't hit every single day but um you know I've been doing my best but I've been working out and staying in shape so I think if I can do that you know when when this is all over I can continue to sharpen the tools yeah on that note how have you gotten creative what are your quarantine workouts looking like yeah I've been I've been fortunate um I'm uh I'm staying at my girlfriend's house in Atlanta and they have a peloton and and some weights and they have a little weight room and stuff so I've been able to work out um, I've been working out with her dad a lot. Um, he's an absolute beast. Uh, he could take me to the curb in any workout. So uh, he's been great for me, honestly. Uh, he runs these Sunday workout classes on Zoom. Maybe I'll send out the link on this thing. Uh, but uh, he's he, he's been great for me to be able to stay in shape, in all honesty, um, or else I'd probably be pretty fat by now. And, uh, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I've just been doing that. I've been doing the Peloton, been running a bit. So I've been staying in shape. I've been hitting. Um, I've been hitting as much as I can. There's a court. Um, next to their house so um, I've been going over there and using the ball machine and stuff so yeah, yeah. no that's awesome I feel like what scarier thing uh, you know for all third set deuce point or the moment you lock in those peloton cleats and you're like all right I'm in for this yeah you know as as much as I hate to say it I actually don't mind the peloton I think it's kind of fun I yeah. uh, I think but both are fun like I, I'd rather have the racket on. I mean that's why you play you know like if, if if you ask anyone and they don't live for that moment and they don't want the rack the ball to come down to your racket on the last point of three all, you know, you're probably not the right guy for for uh you know, for the moment. So I live for those moments I would dream to have that, you know, especially now. Um, but I think they're both good. Yeah, no, for me there's nothing more intimidating when those spikes click in, I'm like, Oh god. Like here we I mean go. I mean the thing for me about the Peloton is I'm working my butt off. Like, <laughs> yeah dripping in sweat and i'm like finishing like twenty three thousand out of twenty four thousand like every time so i don't i don't know what it is about this peloton but i got i gotta take it up with somebody yeah no i agree i was talking to you know name drop here i was talking to monica pui for a, a yeah. podcast we were doing and she's also a peloton fan and she's like yeah i'm in the ten thousands i'm like you're a pro yeah. athlete yeah. who the it's like are people really hacking in so that they can be slightly better ranked on the peloton no like, no just... no it, it's a fact i mean i tried one time I tried one time to just go full out sprint for like a, a 20 minute class, like as hard as I can do not listen to the person. And I got, I, I got up there, but I learned that all these people that are at the top are somehow like fixing the system, but they're also going on like the hardest resistance and just sprinting. So yeah, it's, it's, it's bogus. No, it's way too difficult. I completely agree with you. Um, all right. Last question for you. And it's a two parter. A, you know, for the North Carolina tennis program, what did it mean for uh, you know you guys as the men's team to see all of the success that the women's team was having this season? And that honestly might have been you know the, one of the best college teams in tennis history. And I'm curious this year, better team, just straight up, the men's or the women's? Oh, it's impossible to answer. I mean, the women, <laughs> the women's team, the women's team have always been like you know kind of an inspiration for us. You know, we always, I think it's 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 all playful and we have a great relationship with them but you never want to be you never want to be the worst team and you know when, when we're battling with them this year and we're one versus two it, it, it's obviously great competition I mean their team is probably the best team I've ever seen in my life with you know Cam who's like unbelievable and like barely loses Alexa Sarah Allie you know they, they just have like an unbelievable team um, 
so it's cool to see. I mean, we we're, we hang out with them like you know, they're always over and we're always hanging out on the weekends. So you know, it's it's on it's on it's an honor to be at North Carolina when both teams are playing well and and doing well and we're all having good relationships. So it's cool that to have to both have success together. Yeah, I mean, McKenna Jones was one in the country last year. She's playing five this yeah, year. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Uh, I can't leave McKenna out. I, I forgot McKenna, but she's she's obviously a beast, and you know she dates Brian, so she's uh, <laughs> she's unbelievable. She, she was playing number one and then moved to number five, and she stayed positive. She's playing unbelievable this year, so it was awesome to see. Um, you know, her parents are around and they're great, so she's uh, she's also a huge piece of that, and she's you know if not one, but more than one all time All American, so. She's, uh, she's unbelievable. Yeah, it'd be like moving you to five singles. That would just be a crazy thought. All right, well, I'm sorry. Last bonus because we talked about it on yesterday's mini break. Just curious what an educated tennis opinion like you thinks. Uh, you can have one player's career. Who do you take, Marin Cilic or Tomas Berdych? What do you know? What their uh, is Berdych's career high like four? What is Berdych's like career high? So I have the I have some numbers for you. I'm happy yeah. to run you through them. So Berdych's yeah. career high is four. Chilich's is three. Now obviously Chilich has the Grand Slam final. He's got uh, the Grand Slam title. He's got three finals as well. Chilich doesn't only has the one title. But you look at Masters made. Uh, Burdich has, or you look at quarterfinals made, Burdich has made more quarterfinals at the slams. He's made the semifinals or later more times. You look at the Masters level, Burdich has made, I think it's over 20 more quarterfinals, over 10 more semifinals. Uh, Chilis has only made one final at the Masters level. He won a title in 2016. Burdich has done it three times. You look at uh, their career win percentages, Burdich is at 652, Chilich is at 649. Uh, Burdich played 60 out of a potential 64 Grand Slam events since the start of 2004. I think Chilich is at like 50 or 49 of 52 since the start of 07. Um, it, it's pretty close. I would I say. I think. Uh... Yeah, you know, no, listen, sorry, go ahead. Listen, I think at the end of the day, you know, Chilich, he, he's got the Grand Slam, you know, so it's like he, he won a major champion. He won the Open, right, 3-3-3 three, three, and three in the final or something? Mm-hmm. Over uh, Nishikori. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you got to go with that. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's awesome to have the quarterfinal. And listen, Burdish probably had, you know, a better regular season career, but, you know, with, with, with Chilich, you know, he won the tournament. So winning the Open would be a dream. So if I'm taking that career – that's where I grew up training, so winning the Open would be awesome. Uh, but listen, at the end of the day, I would take either career. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I think winning the Open is probably you know the thing he'll be remembered for forever. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. Um, I would. I'm Team uh, Burdich. I just love the longevity. Seven straight years yeah. in the top ten and 53 top ten wins versus Chilich is 33. But it's either or. Uh, I'm curious. Yeah, at a certain point, you want to win the slams. Chilich was able to get over that hump. Burdich wasn't. So I think that's completely fair. Um, I don't think it's completely fair how much of your time I've taken up. So I will let you go on that note. Will, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Again, congratulations to you on becoming just a third uh, eight-time All-American in men's Division One history. And again, Rick Leach and J.P. Smith, that's pretty good company to join. Uh, while we would, I'll speak on behalf of college tennis fans, we would love to have you back in 2021, but certainly we're excited to see what you're going to do on the Pro Tour as well. So, Will, congratulations, and thanks again, as always, for taking the time to chat. Yeah, thank you. Hope all is well. Yeah, stay safe, stay yeah. healthy. Bye.
Hope you enjoyed my conversation with now eight-time All-American Will Plumberg of UNC. A huge thank you to Will, and again, congratulations to him as well for becoming just the third man in college tennis history to achieve that accomplishment. Uh, he's just been such a fantastic college tennis player, a fantastic college tennis career to follow. And, you know, if he says it's time for him to go pro, I would never argue. He would know best, and he had certainly given so much to college tennis fans throughout his career. But man, if we got to see him for another season, what a treat that would be as a college tennis fan. So of course, we will continue to monitor that story, ask him to keep us in the loop. And I feel like now we've had him a bunch of times, so it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world to try and get him back on the pod one more time. Uh, But you know, again, appreciate uh, Will for taking the time to come on and congratulations to both him and his Tar Heel program. Uh, That'll do it for today's mini break. If you've missed any of our content over the past you know, a couple of months, be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com. So much great stuff on our YouTube channel. You go there, you can see our episodes of Overserved. I believe we're on episode seven this weekend. Man, time has flied when I think about it like that. But of course, our overserve looking at all the comedy that happens week in, week out in the professional tennis world. We promise it's the perfect little 10 minute distraction uh, just for you to get away from all of the stresses of daily life. Enjoy all of the funny things that tennis players do on a week by week basis. So go check that out. Go check out uh, CR Classics, our look at some of the best matches in tennis history. You can see myself and various guests break down the matches. Super producer Daniel Westoff weaves in some video highlights as well. He's just up to all sorts of amazing things on our YouTube channel, so just go subscribe. If you're listening to this portion of the podcast, you probably are subscribed, in which case, thank you as always. But if you are if you haven't yet for some reason, just go do it. You don't want to be the person who joins the run, you know, after it's the cool thing to do. You want to do it, you know, before it's still really, really cool to do. And I would argue right now it's just really cool. It's not really, really cool cool so you can hop on the bandwagon before it's too late Uh, of course podcast wise if you've missed anything we've done on this podcast the cracked interviews podcast the great shot podcast i will ask you right now go like go rate go subscribe go review it go share it with your friends we appreciate all of you who continue to support our various shows uh whenever any of you guys leave a review or reach us to uh, reach out to us on social media it really does mean the world to us so thank you and please feel encouraged to continue to do that we like to have some fun with our topics and Certainly yesterday's Burditch versus Chilich versus Soderling topic had a little bit, uh, got pretty fun on tennis Twitter, so be on the lookout for more things like that just to stir the pot, and of course we do that too. Keep the tennis conversation rocking and rolling, keep everyone engaged in our tennis community, even when there are fewer results for us to be talking about. Uh, there's never, though, a shortage of Crack Rackets content, and the reason we never do have a shortage is because of the tireless work of our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who have a of an ending job to do as they always do day in day out and they continue to come through in the clutch for us shout out again to our friends at midwest sports who make these podcasts possible go to their website midwestsports.com use our promo code cr15 you will get 15 percent off all of your tennis needs it's your one-stop shop for tennis shopping so be sure to go check that out but with that being said one more time for our wonderful guest eight-time all-american unc's will blum for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Take care, everyone. Take care, everyone.